Well, it's great to see you today. I, uh, I can tell that fall is here because every sinus in my head is just totally full. So sorry if my voice is a little gravelly today, but uh, we're, we're just excited that you're here. Uh, a couple of things that we want you to know about before we, before we uh, get too deep into the message today. If you're, if you're new, if we, haven't, uh, if we haven't gotten to know each other yet, there's a card in the chair in front of you. It's called a belong card. We'd love if you could take a couple seconds to fill that out and drop it off at the next steps area. As you walk out of here today, there's a wall that says next steps, and we've got a little gift we'd love to give you, but uh, just to thank you for, for being here today. And, and also want to let you know about a, a great day coming up in, uh, in a few weeks. It's hard for me to believe that we're almost to the first of October. It's like, where in the world has the past couple of months gone? But, but we're almost there in October. You know, a lot of family stuff, a lot of fall stuff, and we, uh, we're going to be having a special fall family fun day on October 30th after the second service. That'll be from noon to two. We're going to have hay rides and a pumpkin patch and uh, cookout and inflatables and all kinds of great stuff. So you'll really want to make sure to stick around for that. I know you first service crew, uh, if, you're, if you're here, maybe you go to a, a life group second service, but stick around or come back because it's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, last week, if you were here, we began this series that I've been really excited about. We're looking through the New Testament book of Philippians. And those of you that are in life groups, you're going through the study that we've put together in-house. And we're uh, going through this together. I hope it's been a really, uh, you know, I hope the first week was a great experience for you. We had a, just a great number of people that were in life groups this past week. I, I think that um, uh, the, the group that we have, the number of people that are connected to small groups right now is the biggest number we've ever had ever that are in small groups right now. So that's a really exciting thing because we know that you guys are, are getting the opportunity to make connections with each other and, and dive deeper into God's Word, which is really the ultimate goal. So we're just really, really pumped about that. But if you, if you were here, then you know, uh, or hopefully you remember, that the book of Philippians was actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to a church, a church in Philippi, uh, while he was sitting in a Roman prison. Uh, it's a really unfair situation for him, and really uncomfortable, miserable situation. And yet this letter that he writes is all about joy. And one thing I said last week, it's like if, if Paul can be sitting in this in, in the midst of these circumstances that are, that are so, so, uh, so uncomfortable, and he can talk about joy, either he's crazy or he knows something that we don't know. And I, I believe in, that he, he's discovered something that's, that so many of us are longing for. We, we want more than anything else, peace and contentment and joy, happiness, you know, what's going to make my life worth living. I, I believe that the book of Philippians is God's guide to deeper joy, which is something that we're all looking for. We talked last week about how our culture is obsessed with trying to find ways to be happy. We look for it everywhere. And here's where we're going to end up today is that suffering is something that the Bible mentions repeatedly. Uh, in the fact of life, the fact of our life, and in all of human history, our lives, every one of us, we, we all have pain. There are painful moments, painful seasons, and and all of that suffering, eventually it ends up in death. And, and, and you wonder, is there any purpose in this? Is there any purpose to our suffering? The answer is yes. God uses it to birth joy. So we're going to talk about some of the things that can bring joy even in the middle 
of suffering. Here's the big idea, the point that uh, I'm going to give to you up front today, and we'll come back to weave throughout our time together, is that I would challenge you, don't waste your suffering by getting bitter, but invest them in joy. It would be so easy for us as we face pain and struggle in life to just become crusty, bitter, angry, and we just live there. And we all know someone in our life that probably that, that sums them up. It's just a sad situation. Don't, don't go there. Don't waste the suffering by getting bitter. But invest it. Your hardships, your trials, the troubles, temptations, they are such a mountainous part of your life. Nobody can escape any of that. Don't waste it by being bitter. Don't waste it by walking away from the Lord. No, don't waste them by nursing a hurt. But invest it. Invest it so that God can birth through you and in you a brand new joy. Now, I'm going to cover a lot of ground this morning. I'm quickly finding as we preach through the book of Philippians, we're spending eight weeks. I could have easily, could have easily preached for 15 weeks. Uh, but, uh, but what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of cover a lot of ground today, but I'm going to really focus in on one area as we look at the second half of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15. Paul says this, he says, you know, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. And they preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Basically what's happening there. Paul's in prison, and, and everybody knows that, and there are many, you know, Paul's well-known guy, been preaching all over the place and starting churches, and there were those who realized, hey, our friend Paul is out of commission right now, he, he, can't be, he can't be out preaching, so we've got to step up, and so you have people who are stepping up and say, we're going we're gonna to fill in for Paul, we're going to preach about Jesus, and some people are preaching because they love Paul. You know, and they say, we've got to carry out, continue to carry out this mission. And then there are other people that he's talking about, those with, you know, not pure motives, are saying, hey, Paul's out of the game, so now's our chance. You know, maybe we can step into the spotlight. So their motives may not be the best. And, and, uh, and we, we continue to see this today. It is so strange to me, I think it is so strange, when churches compete. I thought we were all on Team Jesus. You know, I thought we were all on the same side. We, this, this book tells me that in the end we all win. But you see it all the time. Occasionally you see uh, somebody says, hey, come to my church because it's better than your church. You know, our coffee's better. And uh, you, you'll, you'll like our music better or our preacher's a little more entertaining. You know, or, uh, you know, our building is, is more impressive. You know, the church is a family. It's called to be the family of God, and we care for one another, and we support one another. Our goal should never be, the primary motive should never be how many, how many people can we get in this room. The goal should be how many souls can we help into heaven. That's the mission of the church. That's what we do. And, and here's the deal is God wants pastors and, 
ministries and churches to complete one another, not compete with one another. And we need that, we need that mindset even as the, we are the members of the body of Christ. You are the church. And we need to know that. And I'm looking at you know, the church down the street or across the city or across the, the country. Those are, we rejoice with churches that are doing what God has called them to do. And we rejoice that we are doing what God has called us to do. We, we, let's not be a church that, that our mission is to try to steal people away from their family where they are. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not very impressed when someone tries to do that to us. And neither was Paul. He said in verse 17 and 18, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But he says, you know, but ultimately, it it doesn't matter, I guess. It doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The fact that the message about Christ is being preached, either way, I'm going to rejoice. And I'll continue to rejoice. Uh, J. Vernon McGee used to say, the only exercise that some Christians get is running down others and jumping to conclusions. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of true. Some people are discerning, you know, but they're not loving. And then there are other people that are loving, but they're not discerning, you know. And, and, and uh, what I mean by that is they just accept everything and everyone, you know. It's, it's, it's all good, man. We all love the Lord. The, you know, nothing matters. Whatever they believe, it doesn't matter. Well, actually, it does matter. It does. And there's a place for discernment. But this next part, this is what I really want to dial in on for the next few minutes. It's so powerful. In uh, verse 20, Paul says, For I, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. <clears throat> and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. It's a curious verse. We're going to come back to it. It says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Our point again today, don't waste your sufferings by getting bitter Invest them for joy. I heard a great story this, this past week. Is a guy named uh, Mike Iaconelli. He, he told this story in his book, Dangerous Wonder. So there was a woman who was vacationing on one of the barrier islands down in South Carolina one spring uh, when uh, the giant loggerhead turtles were laying their eggs. And uh, one night there was a large female, good two or 300 pound turtle, uh, dragged herself onto the beach to lay her eggs. And the woman saw the turtle, but she did, of course she didn't go near it, didn't disturb her. And uh, the next morning she got up and she's walking the beach and she walked the same path. She found that those turtle tracks uh, after she had laid her eggs, but they were leading away from the ocean. Apparently the turtle had gotten turned around and had wandered the opposite direction, wandered uh, into the sand dunes. Instead of back to the, to the water. And so the woman followed the tracks and she found this turtle. that was hot, dry, and, and just covered with sand. 
And so she, she, she found some seaweed and covered the turtle with seaweed and poured water over her. And she went to go find a, uh, a park ranger. So the park ranger comes in a jeep. And the two of them are you know, kind of surveying the situation. And uh, the two of them took this, this humongous turtle and they flipped her up on her back. And then the ranger attached chains around both of her front legs and then hooked the chains to the back of his jeep. And started dragging her toward the ocean. This turtle is just terrified, you know, doesn't know what's going on. Her mouth filled up with sand, her head started bending backward, it looked like her neck was gonna break. And at the edge of the ocean, uh, the park ranger unhooked her and they flipped her right side up, and she sat there, stunned by the trip. And eventually, as the water kind of began to lap up over her shell, she pushed off and disappeared beneath the waves. And the woman said later, I got this quote, she said, watching her slow, uh, swim slowly away and remembering her nightmare ride through the dunes, I realized that sometimes it's hard to tell whether you're being killed or being saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Don't miss this. If, if, if the turtle hadn't suffered, she could have been saved. And I find it interesting in, in all this discussion, Paul writing about suffering. You know, I don't know which would be better for me. If I, if I live, if I live, I'm going to suffer. If I die, I go be with Jesus. You know, we know that suffering eventually leads to death. And death for us, 1 Corinthians 15 declares, death is an enemy. It's not a friend. You know, we, we can't accept death. We don't embrace death. We, we hate death. We fight it. We, we do everything we can to avoid it, to prolong life, you know, and, and, and something for us, even as the image bearers of God, there's something in us that longs for life. The book of Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. That eternity is anchored in the depth of our, of our very being, and death seems like, it just seems like a foe. It's not a friend. So it's interesting to me when Paul says, well... For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. How could he write that? To live is Christ, and to die is gain. How could that possibly be true? Excuse me for a second. <clears throat> you know what, what that doesn't say? It doesn't say that to die is to nap. It doesn't say that to die is to be in suspended animation or that uh, to die is to perhaps be reincarnated into some other living thing or, or uh, you know, to, to achieve some state of nirvana. That's not what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present and at home with the Lord. Nothing else. No state of, of hanging in the balance, no purgatory, no, you know, what's going to happen to me next. To be absent from this body is to be present and at home with the Lord. We don't cease to exist. That's not what the Word of God says. That's not what your Creator, who knits you together inside your mother's womb, who holds you in the palm of His hands, that's not what He said. He, he didn't leave us to guess. His Word says to be absent from this body is to be present with God. And this is what we need to embrace today, is when you 
when you really live for Christ, you will accept God's will for your life. And that statement, it sounds great, but it's, it's challenging. It kind of, it's kind of a, almost a double-edged knife. It's, on the one hand, it's great news. Yes, I want to accept God's will for my life because I'm trusting and believing that his will for me is, is good things and that he wants me to live with purpose. And he, he has, you know, he says, as his word says, I know plans I have for you and I, I, I'm going to take care of you. I want you to be uh, you know, strong and equipped and all those things. But on the other hand, we also recognize that sometimes part of God's will is to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Nobody wants to be there. When Paul went to Rome to preach, he ended up under house arrest. You know, he's, he's, he's in prison. Was that a good idea? He's preaching, uh, he, he's reaching an elite group of people that he would not have reached otherwise. There would have been no way for Paul to have taken the message of the gospel to those people had he not been put in prison. So Paul understood God had his hand in it. You look at verse 12. We touched on this last week. He said, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me, as unfair as it may seem, as uncomfortable as it is, as much as I don't really prefer this, I know that all this has happened here to help me spread the good news. In other words, this is the will of God for my life. Did it ever occur to you that God has you Exactly where you are on purpose. Did it ever occur to you that where you are in life, the things that are happening, the circumstances, the things that you wish you could change, that that's exactly where God wants you for a purpose? Maybe, in effect, you feel like you're chained to someone. Uh, by, and by that, maybe you feel like I'm chained to a, a non believer. You know, I have a I have a non-believing husband, and he is he is just seems to be uh, obstinate. He's he's not interested in my faith. I feel like we can't share this together. Why does it have to be like this? Or I'm chained to a non-believing wife. Why does she have to be so difficult with this? Or kids that don't believe, or parents that don't believe what you believe, or an argumentative co-worker that sits next to you in your office space, or some guy on the construction site that uh, is always giving you a hard time. And you think, why do I have to be here with this person? Because we all want to be in a great environment, right? I mean, that's things that we talk about is, boy, I would love it. Wouldn't it just be great if I could work in a Christian environment and have a Christian boss and Christian coworkers and Christian customers and just Christian Christians? Like if we could just listen to worship music all day long and have Bibles out on the desks and then every, wouldn't that just be wonderful? Wouldn't that just be great if that was the way? And why do we want that so much? Because that's easy. Did it ever occur to you that God wants you there so that you could reach that person? That he's put you in their path because you are an ambassador of Christ and he has you on a mission. It's not just random. You see, sometimes people that, that argue with you they're actually the closest to accepting Christ than, than anybody else. It seems like it wouldn't be the case, but, but I think there's a lot of times that we think of someone who is pleasant and nice 
as we share the gospel with them, we share our story about, you know, this is what God's done in my life. And, and if they're nice and, and uh, oh, that is so wonderful, oh, tell me more, just love hearing about that. We think of that as a good thing. And when somebody is argumentative, we think of that as a bad thing. But sometimes it's just the exact opposite. Someone who's nice is just trying to pacify you so that you'll go away. The argumentative person cares. It may seem uncomfortable, but, you know, but something's happening there. It's been said that when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. It's true. Paul says, this is an opportunity for me to be used by God. In fact, he believes that so strongly. He says, I know that if I, if I live, it will be for Jesus. And if I die, then that's even better. What does God want to accomplish through your suffering? <clears throat> Chuck Colson put it this way. He said, God does not witness to the world by taking his people out of suffering, but rather by demonstrating his grace through them in the midst of pain. It allows a, a world that is hopeless to see what the goodness of God looks like. As they watch us go through the same struggle that they go through. And when we can do it with peace and confidence. And we know that no matter what, God's got me. If I live, I live for Jesus. If I die, that's even better. Some, some way through that, an unbelieving, hopeless world is able to see the grace of God demonstrated. As Christians suffer with hope and with faith, others are encouraged. And Paul has this positive outlook. He says in the next verse, he says, knowing this, I'm convinced he, be, he says, I, I believe that I'm going to remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. What a shame it would be. What a waste it would be if we allowed our sufferings to make us bitter. You and I, we, we shouldn't be shocked or surprised when we suffer. I think sometimes we, we believe a false gospel, a, uh, a, a, a prosperity-type gospel, health, wealth, and prosperity-type gospel that says, if you accept Jesus, then everything will be easy. If you accept Jesus, he's always going to cure your illnesses. He's always going to make sure you got money in your pocket. He's always going to make everything go the way that you want it to go. Couldn't be further from the truth. I heard another pastor, I won't mention who it was, but just happened to be watching on TV one day and, and made a statement. I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said, but basically he said, you know, Jesus wants you to be victorious. And I'm like, okay, I agree with that. You know, we, we were victors and overcomers in Christ. I get that, I, but I understand also what that means. You know, in the end, we win, right? But he said, you know, in life, if, if, if you're not victorious in finances, you know, if you're not wealthy then, then you're not, you're not uh, experiencing the fullness of Jesus. If you're sick, then you're not experiencing the fullness of Jesus. If you're discouraged, if you're depressed, then you're not experiencing the fullness of Jesus. And I thought to myself, now wait just a second here, because last time I checked, Jesus himself, did he ever suffer? Yeah. Was he ever discouraged? Think about the night he was betrayed when he sweat drops of blood. I can't imagine the amount of stress as he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Was Jesus ever in a, in a position of poverty? 
he grew up in a, in a, in a very blue-collar home. And he, had, he said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so I think, well, if, that, that, can't be, that can't possibly be true. But we've, we, we tend to believe that, that if I follow Jesus, he's going to make everything easy. And it's, it's not true. Christ said, if I suffer, you will suffer. But there's something deeper that happens. If you look at the church of the first century, they changed the world. They absolutely changed the world. They turned it upside down. And they did it without media. There was no news. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. You know, they, they, but they had a lot of friends and followers. They changed the world. Uh, it was under the rule of Rome. It's amazing how they did it. They did not out-argue the pagans. Uh, they, they, uh, the first Christians, what they did, they lived their lives on a higher level. Uh, they didn't conquer false religions by reacting blow by blow. Uh, they, they lived their life on a higher level. Their, their weapons were positive, not negative. They didn't stage protests, and uh, they didn't hold boycott, boycotts. They would have been killed if they'd done that. But instead, they prayed, and they preached, and they proclaimed the message of the death of Christ on the cross. And his resurrection from the dead. And they backed up that message with their actions. And it changed the planet. It changed the world. They were out there loving and giving and healing and doing all the things that God had called them to do. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, that is why we never give up. We just don't give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Because our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. But rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's doing in me. What he's doing through me. What he's doing with me. Around me. That my life is hidden with Christ. In every way to live as Christ and that because of him every breath that we have is valuable and nothing is wasted it's meaningful and it's purposeful and and that would include our suffering and then to die is gain that though there is a separation of the soul from the body there is not a separation of the soul and the Savior but to be absent from this body is to be present and at home with the Lord it will be perfected on the other side of death. And Paul closes out this chapter by saying this. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. That, that ought to just stop you in your tracks right there. I mean, right there, that line just ought to grab each one of us. You've got to live as citizens of heaven. Meaning, that's my home. That's where I, well, the place I long for. That's who I am. That's who I belong to. That's where my focus is. I am a citizen of heaven, so conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We're in this struggle together. 
You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. There's, there's two unavoidable facts that we all face. One is that you will die. If Jesus doesn't return first, you and I, we, we will die. And the second unavoidable fact is that you will stand before Jesus Christ one day. In a very real way, you will stand before the real presence of Jesus Christ. You will die and you will stand before him. He is God. He is alive and well. And he awaits you on the other side of death. We close our eyes in death. We open our eyes to new life. The only man who has ever conquered death, the only man who has any right to speak to us about what awaits us on the other side of death. Watching a documentary uh, just the other day, so, you know, they talk about uh, life and death and the human experience, and they said, you know, no, no one knows, no one knows what happens in death. No one knows. That's the one thing that, you know, all of us humans, we, you know, nobody knows what happens. And uh, I thought, well, I do. I know. Because he told me. Jesus told me, this is what, he's the only one to have crossed over into death and then to come back to life and say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only one. I think I'm going to listen to that man. If he conquered death, I think I want to hear what he has to say. He's the only one that has the right to, to speak about what awaits us because he's the only one who's gone there in victory over sin and return. You will die. You will stand before Jesus. You will stand before him as a friend or as a foe. You will stand before him as a blessing or, or a curse. You will stand before him for salvation or for condemnation. That's why the Christian life is the best life. I think we forget that sometimes in the midst of all of our busyness and, and all of our struggles. When life doesn't go the way that I wanted it to go, we think, well, what's the, you know, what's the point? What's it matter anyway? Life is just hard. The Christian life is the best life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He doesn't promise to take us away from suffering. He promises to give us purpose in the midst of it. But the key is we cannot allow ourselves to waste our suffering by becoming bitter, but invest it into joy. What is, what is God doing through this season in your life? As you're going through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the pain is, no matter what the discouragement is, no matter what the hard things are, you ask yourself, what does God want to do with me in this? He has a plan. He has a purpose to glorify himself and to be a friend that is closer than a brother to you. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you, you, are, the, you are a God who gives us joy. And I know that a lot of us, we, we struggle with that because we are still living on the other side of heaven. We're still living in this life that is not ideal at times. I, help, I pray that you would help us to, to, uh, to do as your word says, that we would 
be able to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross and he scorned its shame. Would you be able to, would you drive those words deep into our hearts as we, as we continue to grow, as we are maturing and becoming more like your son? Help us to just in the same way, may we be able to, may we be able to endure the sufferings in our life because of the joy that's set before us. The day that we long for, we are absent from the body and at home with you. Until that day, Lord, I pray that you continue to, to guide us into your will. Help us to accept that and to face it with confidence with joy. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.